brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Word. And here we are. Episode numero 64. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the Spanish for 64. That's okay. So (laughs) That's all right. Um, the effort continues. The effort continues. <laughs> On the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, here we are. Um, this I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. Um, this is I don't often, in fact, I don't think I've ever known much about the episodes when we or like like anything whenever we come to sit down. This one, I know a little bit. We've had a couple of conversations about it. I would but, say more than usual. Yes, more than usual. But I Still don't actually know the whole story. Right. I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know. Right. So I'm excited to hear all about it's this one week's that's story. like hard to not talk about. Once you learn it, it's like Yeah. 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 You're the things that you have shared with me, I've been like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this will be really cool. And I'm excited. But before we get into the exciting content mm-hmm. of the evening. Uh, we have a few important things to talk about. Yes. Number one, what are you drinking? Uh, so I don't know if our listeners remember my Simply Spiked Lemonade era. Mm-hmm. That was like a really, really good time for me. <laughs> and I panic bought like a bunch of containers of it because I was worried they were going to discontinue it. They didn't discontinue it. They never it. discontinued it. They so, have had it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> not only did they not discontinue it, but they developed a new one, mm-hmm. Simply Peach. Yes. And this is not sponsored. I just love these things so much. Yes. <laughs> so I am testing out the Simply Peach Kiwi flavor. That's a good one. So good. That's a good one. I am pretty sure I've had one of all of the flavors of mm-hmm. the peach ones. There might be one that I'm missing. I don't remember. But uh, yes, they are tasty. Yes. What are <laughs> What are you drinking tonight? Well, tonight I am bringing back not only a favorite of mine, or a fan favorite, but even a favorite of yours, not to drink, but to talk about. Yes. It is the Nebraska Brewing Company, EOS, EOS, Hefeweizen, <laughs> a Bavarian-style Hefeweizen beer with a medium body and a huge banana-like <laughs> aroma that creates a wonderful drinkability unlike many others. It is immensely pleasurable, and it is true. I love that it's not unlike... Any others, <laughs> just many. 
Yeah. <laughs> like there are some others there that are, are comparable. kind of like it. But. but like many are not. <laughs> I just want to know who, who does that, who writes the descriptions because they deserve a raise and a semi-regular quarterly even bonus. I, I hope they get royalties off of the, every single one of these cans that's sold because that description is gold. I love the Nebraska Brewing Company descriptions. They make too. me laugh 100% so of the great. time. I don't know if that's what they meant to do. I don't know if it's one of those things that they were serious and we think it's a joke and we're like offensive to somebody. I hope not. I don't want to be mean <laughs> but, to anyone. But but if they want to send us a bunch of these just so we can read them off and giggle together on every episode, I wouldn't be opposed because they're delicious. Here's the thing, though. It's not mean spirited. No. It's like joyful. Like yes. it's like it, it delights me that that is printed on a can. Just makes me happy. I, I love it. <sighs> well, you've got a feel good fact for us. I do. Okay. I do. So when pregnant giraffes are ready to give birth, they will often return to the place where they were born themselves to have their babies. Really? Yeah. That's fun. There's something about that. Yeah. That is uh, the fact that it's hardwired yeah. into their brain to return yeah. to their own birthplace. Yeah, that's really cool. And then you have that like generational thing mm-hmm. too, where there's several generations of calves being born. Yeah. In the exact same place, which yeah. I think is really sweet. That is really sweet. Animals are so cool. I yeah. love them. It kind of makes me think of the sea turtles. I don't know if they do the exact same thing, but just the fact that they are born on land, make a <laughs> a death a death run into the ocean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then live in the ocean, and if they create spawns of themselves, then they'll just find a beach and yeah. go lay eggs there. It's just, it's really cool to me to think about that. Yeah. It's weird, but cool. Totes. Especially the death race thing. That part's weird. That's that, not a feel-good fact. The death race, fact. I was going to say, wow, you're really hijacking this feel-good <laughs> fact. <laughs> but it's sweet that the giraffes do their thing. Yes. Agreed. All right. So we have some housekeeping. Mm, we have mm-hmm. an update and just a brief little announcement also. So the update that we have is about a previous episode. We covered the Marlene Warren murder back on episode four, mm-hmm. where in May of 1990, someone dressed as a clown came to Marlene's front door and shot her right in front of her son, killing her. Yeah. For literal decades, police and armchair detectives alike have been pretty positive of who did it. The alleged mistress and later wife of Marlene's husband. Mm-hmm. Sheila Keen Warren was arrested in 2017 and has been awaiting trial for first-degree murder since then. Initially, the death penalty was on the table, but was taken off the table pretty quickly. And sometime this week, kind of like very, in a very secretive manner, she accepted a plea deal where she pled guilty to the second-degree murder of Marlene Warren, and she's looking at a sentence of 12 years. But her attorney is optimistic that she'll be out of prison by the beginning of 2024. What? Sheila also still insists that she pled guilty like she took the plea deal because it would be in her best interest, but she maintains her innocence. Hmm. So whenever we get an update about her being released, we will go ahead and share that on the show. Wow. And then our final announcement is that we are putting up our May giving poll that's available now over on Patreon. So our patrons vote each month and they help us choose a nonprofit to give to. We want to focus on supporting victims and survivors of violent crimes, their families, as well as organizations that lift up marginalized groups across the United States. Mm -hmm. This time we're doing it a little differently, and the two options that our patrons can choose between are actually two previous organizations that we've talked about before, but we're not 
the choice mm, for mm-hmm. that given month or whatever. Yeah. So we are looking at the Midwest Innocence Project and Futures Without Violence. And so if you want to choose one of those, if you guys want to get in on ad-free and bonus content, then head on over to our Patreon mm-hmm. and sign up there. Yes. Do we'll it. give you the deets on that at the end. Do it. And stick around to the end so that you can get all that because it's good stuff over on Patreon, I'll say. It's good stuff. All of the, the bonus episodes that we do, there's been a few of those. That are my favorite episodes. Really? Yes. Wow. So, uh, of of my favorite episodes yeah. that you shouldn't miss. And it is the cost of one medium-sized cup of coffee. Not even a big one. And not a small one. A medium-sized one wow. per month. And wow. it's worth it. I that know. is a steal of a deal. I'm, it's a steal of a deal. And I know I'm selling it really well. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thank you for sharing all that. I'm excited to to learn more about both of these organizations and see who who gets uh who gets the donation next month. Sure. All right, you ready to tell us all about this week's story? Yes. On February 28, 2005, 22-year-old Robbie Aitken woke in the middle of the night when he heard a sudden crashing sound. He looked around his home in Los Gatos, California and noticed something shocking. Someone had stolen his safe right out of his room. Hmm. Meanwhile, the man who stole the safe, a young man named Matthew Hahn, brought the safe back to his home, intent on breaking it open the following morning. But when Matthew broke the safe open, what he found inside would change the trajectory of his own life, as well as the lives of dozens of others around him forever. Hmm. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. So I feel like I need to start this one off with a big fat content warning. Mm. So I'm going to be mentioning an extremely disturbing case of sexual violence against a very small child. Oh, wow. As always, I will not go into graphic detail about such a horrifying thing. Um, And thankfully, there's not a ton of details out there about it anyways. Okay. But I just wanted to make sure that I laid that out. I know that's a sensitive topic. And so if that's not something that you want to hear about, then we look forward to having you back next week. Mm -hmm. So let's start this off by talking about Matthew Hahn. Okay. Matthew grew up with his mother, father, and sister in Northern California, and for the most part, he had a pretty normal childhood. As a kid, he took part in some, I would call, I don't even know if I would call them minor crimes, Hmm. uh, like stealing baseball cards or pornography with his friends or like snatching a beer out of the fridge. Oh, sure. But it was kind of like- Common things that most teenagers do. Yeah. Or at least- Or young kids do. (laughs) As a child of the 80s and 90s, programs like Just Say No and Dare were everywhere, Mm -hmm. and there was something in Matthew that felt drawn to anything that he knew that he was not supposed to do, (laughs) which, like, same. Uh He had gotten in trouble in middle school and high school with local police when he got caught and arrested for smoking pot or drinking at parties and things like that, but overall, he was still a pretty solid student. Early in high school, Matthew's parents began having troubles in their marriage, and before he hit 12th grade, his father had moved out, which was a major stressor for everyone in the home, of course. Mm, Yeah. But it was around this time where Matthew's drug use and overall behavior began to kind of spiral to the point where, despite his mother's best efforts, he was kind of out of control. Oh, okay. Yeah, now now it's starting to get serious and... Yes. At the beginning of Matthew's senior year of high school, he came down with mono, which caused him to miss the first month or so of school. 
Mm. When he returned, the expectation from all of his teachers was that he would need to get himself caught up on all of the work that he'd missed. And so he and a friend thought that maybe if he used meth, he could get his work made up super quickly. Wow. Which like that sounds like a jump. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm sure I'll mention this several times throughout the episode, but Matthew is very open and very vulnerable in many interviews that he's done Mm. in the last several years. And like even on um, Reddit and places like that, where he will, he'll go into great detail about that whole time period of his life. And when you hear it in the context of his own like personal life experience, Mm. it kind of, it doesn't make sense. Like that was not obviously a wise choice, right? but it makes sense with the, within the context of how his life was going and it's like a story that we've unfortunately, like, we've yeah. seen snapshots of yeah. our whole lives as well, yeah. you know? So it's a very human mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So from there, Matthew was hooked. Methamphetamine is a psychoactive stimulant, and users of meth describe a feeling of euphoria, energy, excitement, and overall, it makes you feel better than you actually are. Hmm. Unlike drugs like marijuana, meth highs last considerably longer, and they have a pretty gnarly come down. And so many users will quickly use again once the come down hits in order to maintain the like positive feelings of mm, the high. Wow. Okay. It's obviously extremely addictive for that reason. And according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the average age of those seeking help with meth addiction is 33 years old, and meth addiction affects men and women equally. Wow. Huh. That's really interesting. Yes. I I can only, just from what you, so I I have almost no knowledge Mm -hmm. of of meth usage, Mm -hmm. how it affects the brain, what it, like, what it even does. So Mm -hmm. I'm learning in this conversation right now a lot about it. The only thing I can kind of connect it to that it sounds similar to me that I do know a little bit more about is like LSD and like those kinds of psychedelics, but it still sounds different than that because those things don't typically have, usually if you have a a bad trip, you have a bad trip and then it's done, you know, Mm -hmm. give or take, you know, different kinds of things that that can follow you afterward. But generally speaking, like those things don't have the same kind of after effects. It sounds like once again. Yeah. I can't confirm or deny. Being a total novice on meth. (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea for sure what, what, what meth usage is like, but Yeah, well, and really what I was doing with that little section there, just kind of basic meth basics, (laughs) was to kind of paint a picture of, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of somebody who might be attracted to using meth or even addicted to it. Mm -hmm. It makes some level of logical sense that someone who's experiencing pain or struggle focusing um, or even just like mental illness, like depression high stressors Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day life, that kind of thing would be attracted to something that makes you feel better than you are. Yeah. And how the fact that the come down is rough. Mm. And so you keep using to avoid that. You, that's the whole point is to avoid the come down. Mm -hmm. And Matthew even described going for like a week or two without like sleeping at all. Wow. Because that was just like kind of naturally how it would play out for him. That that is a long time. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's just like this really vicious, really vicious cycle. Yeah. So fast forward just a few short months after Matthew first used meth. After getting arrested and put into juvenile detention for just a few hours for being under the influence of methamphetamine, it was at this time that Matthew decided to drop out of high school. 
He was pretty much constantly using meth and would go for long stretches of time without sleeping. In order to support his growing addiction, Matthew began burglarizing places like local construction sites where, like, if the workers had left out certain tools, he'd swipe those and then either trade the tools for money or for drugs. Yeah. From there, he got a little bit more bold, walking into open garages in the middle of the night and stealing anything valuable that he could find. And then eventually, he would seize opportunities to walk through an unlocked door and into someone's home. Mm. So in a way, the burglary was very much growing in severity and intensity, kind of similarly as his drug use had. They were kind of like in tandem with each other. That was how he was financing his drug usage. So yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that they would both kind of be spiraling at the same time. Sure. In early 1999, Matthew got caught breaking into a garage in a nice neighborhood and was charged with numerous felonies. All of these were strikeable offenses based on California's three strikes law. Hmm. So we haven't talked about that yet on the show, the three strikes law. And I know we have some stories in the somewhat near future where that will come up. And so let's just talk about the three strikes law for just a second. So it was enacted in 1994 in the state of California. The three strikes law mandates that anyone convicted of two prior violent or serious felonies be sentenced to 25 years to life on any additional felonies. This is a pretty controversial Mm. sentencing structure with opponents citing several reasons why the law creates burdens on prisons dealing with things like supporting aging prisoners over time, Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that many people serving life sentences because of the three strikes law are imprisoned for nonviolent crimes. Wow, yeah. Those in favor of the law argue that it helps either reduce violent or serious crimes or at least puts dangerous repeat offenders behind bars. Hmm. It has changed a bit over the years, but that is what it was like at the time of today's story. Three strikes, you're done, 25 years to life. Wow, okay. Very intense. That is super intense. Yes. So in 1999, after being caught burglarizing a home, Matthew was looking at a sentence of around 40 years. Hmm. He ended up taking a plea deal and received five years, eight months in prison, as long as he agreed that the offenses he was being charged with would appear on his record as three plus strikes. So basically, once he was released, if he ever was to commit another serious offense— He's done. He's mm-hmm. you've got a life sentence, like wow. 25 to life, bar none. Yeah. After completing a drug recovery program, Matthew was paroled in August of 2001. So he served a little less than two years. Mm-hmm. Immediately out of prison, Matthew was doing really well. He got a job and went to college where he maintained a 4.0 GPA. And for the next couple of years, wow. good for him. I mean, he was really thriving. Yeah. Yeah. In 2003, however, personal tragedy struck. A dear friend of Matthew's had completed suicide, and while Matthew doesn't blame that friend for what would follow, he's made it pretty clear that that loss was just something that he Mm. couldn't cope with on his own. Mm -hmm. So he started drinking every day, and by 2004, he relapsed back into meth use. And as it goes in so many stories just like this one, once the drug use continued, the old patterns of behavior Mm -hmm. kind of followed suit. Matthew developed a kind of system for stealing things, and then selling them on eBay to the point that he was like planning on attending a business owner's conference Mm -hmm. because he was bringing in solid money through burgling and then like reselling things on eBay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So he was like, like doing, it was a career, like legit career. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Yes. On the outside, it was a legit career that he was able to go to a business owner's conference over it. Yes. That's Okay. I don't think he ended up actually attending it, though. Oh, okay. I think he was planning on it. But it it. was on the table. Yeah. 
that's okay. Yeah, I think it was like a Silicon mm. Valley kind of thing too. So yeah. it was like it was like a no joke thing. Yeah. Which is interesting. So Hmm. on February 28th, 2005, Matthew and a partner who has remained unnamed, even to this day, went to a house with the intent of stealing a specific thing in the middle of the night. While they were there and looking around, they couldn't find what they came for. And so they decided that they wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. The house was in a Los Gatos neighborhood and was pretty upscale from what I understand. And so on the property of the main house, there was a smaller cottage style house Mm -hmm. also on the property. When they walked past the cottage, they noticed that the back door was open and that there was a light on inside. And that light was kind of shining out of the door and pouring into the yard, Hmm. right into the area where they had to walk past to get off the property. Oh, yeah. They both agreed that they needed to get out of there since whoever lived in the cottage was obviously awake. Mm -hmm. But when Matthew peeked inside the open door, he saw a safe sitting in the middle of the room. So he decided to sneak in quickly grab the safe and get out of there. Wow. It was heavy and so very bold. It was heavy. So the partner helped Matthew pick it up and carry it to the truck before speeding off into the night. Mm. So in, I think all of the many interviews that I've listened to from Matthew, he always describes how he didn't really know what came over him Mm -hmm. or like why he felt so compelled towards risking being seen by the owner of the home for the sake of stealing the safe. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting to me. Yeah. And I feel like you'll see why in just a second. Okay. Okay. So when Matthew got the safe back to his house, it was apparent that it was way too sturdy to be easily broken into and that he needed to use some pretty heavy duty tools in order to break it open. Mm. Okay. He didn't want to draw any attention from his neighbors. And so he told his partner that he would wait until the following morning to crack it open and that he'd let him know if there was anything interesting or super valuable mm-hmm. inside. Yeah. The next morning, after breaking the safe open, Matthew's whole world would be changed forever. When he first reached into the safe and grabbed something, he noticed that it was soft and kind of squishy, Hmm. which he thought was strange. When he pulled it out, the object was a diaper. Oh. He reached back in and pulled out another diaper and another and another. In all, it was something like five diapers. Like dirty diapers? So initially, he wondered if the owner of the safe was using the diapers to like store something that maybe they didn't Mm -hmm. want to have rattling around or maybe it was something really valuable or breakable. Oh, sure. But when he opened up the diapers and looked inside, they were all just run-of-the-mill soiled diapers. They were dirty diapers. Oh, that's weird. Which is odd and gross, but like... (laughs) Just keeping those in a... In a safe. Safe, okay. Very strange. People do weird things. I can't say that I've ever heard... Yeah, that would be of anything a first. like this. I throw those in the trash, maybe. Yeah, the diaper genie. But hmm. so as he continued digging around inside of the safe, he pulled out some paperwork with the owner's name on it: Jonathan Robertson Aitken, mm-hmm. as well as a gun, bank cards, another pack of unused diapers, and a camera memory card. Hmm. Curious about what was on the memory card, Matthew put it into his computer and waited for the photos on the card to load. At first, all of the photos popped up as thumbnails, and at first glance, Matthew believed it was somebody's homemade pornography, Mm -hmm. just like two consenting adults photographing their escapades, whatever people do, what they, people do what people do. With cameras and, yeah. But when he clicked on the first image, he discovered that the photos captured something much, much worse. Immediately, Matthew recognized that the person being photographed was a child. But it was a super close-up photo, and it was kind of hard to make out what was actually happening at first. Hmm. 
he did instinctively know right mm. away that these photos were documenting something horrible. Like yes. he, even though he couldn't quite tell what was yeah. in the first photo, he was like, this is not good. And so he clicked the next photo and this one was more zoomed out. In the photo was an adult man engaging in the sexual abuse of a very, very small child. Oh, no. At the time, Matthew believed that the little girl was somewhere around three years old, but he later learned that she was under the age of two at the time of the abuse. Oh, my gosh. Which, like, speechless. Just so unbelievably terrible. So... Horrified, Matthew continued looking through the rest of the photos. One of the photos showed freshly overturned dirt, which made Matthew wonder if the man in these photos had already murdered the child in the photos. Like it looked kind of like Uh a makeshift grave. After he looked through the whole memory card, Matthew knew that not only did he need to do something about this, but that he was probably the only person who could do something about it. Wow. But with the three strikes law on his record, Uh there was no way that he could just like waltz into the police department and be like, hey, guys, I stole a safe. Look what I found. Mm -hmm. Like he couldn't do do it like that. That would obviously land him with a pretty serious sentence at best, you know, so he formulated a different plan. Yeah. First, he reached out to the partner that he'd stolen the safe with, and he had the guy come over and look at the photos and all of that as well. Mm-hmm. He asked the friend what they should do since these photos only came into, into their hands because they'd stolen the safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The partner was like, sorry, like I, I want absolutely nothing to do with this. Like, mm. no. And so Matthew, once again, I said this earlier, but he's never named or implicated this person in any way. So, but now it's up to Matthew to decide what to do. Okay. So this, this guy has seen what's happening and doesn't want to take part in any element of. He doesn't want to be attached to it at all. Oh, I have very mixed feelings about that. Right. Like I get it, but it's like, dude, you're, you're opting out of, you are, you're not just like a passerby of not doing the right thing, you are intentionally opting out of doing the right thing mm-hmm. by saying that. So that, whew. But then there's the human element of like, we don't know this guy's criminal record. We don't know if he was also facing three strikes. We don't know. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, that's it wasn't fair. technically his idea to steal the safe. He was obviously an accomplice, mm-hmm. but it wasn't his idea. He didn't open it. He didn't ask to see it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make that argument, neither did Matthew. He was- <sighs> hoping for some money (laughs) or something valuable, you know? Um, Hmm. But yeah, I feel like it's, we hear stories like this and it's really easy to like kind of decide what you would do just based off of hearing the story. But in that way, it like, it is kind of anecdotal where it's like, of course, all of us would say that we would do that. But if we were in the shoes of someone like Matthew, it gets more complicated. Sure. It uh, obviously the right thing is still the right thing. Yeah. But I think that all of us like to believe that we would do the right thing until we're faced with a situation that could dramatically change our lives if we decide to do the right thing, you know? Yeah. I just feel like the average person doesn't necessarily experience something this high stakes. For sure. Th- this this high stakes, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've had to face something with that kind of a potential repercussion if right. I do the right thing. Right. So that's a fair it's very point. complicated in <laughs> yeah, that way. Yeah. You get basically one shot if you are ever in a, in a situation 
remotely like this. Mm-hmm. This is your one shot to do the right thing or to stay the course in your life. And mm-hmm. so I yourself. get it. I yeah. get it. But I have mixed feelings about it because uh, that's there's very little to do. And it sounds like Matthew is uh, very seriously considering right. doing the right thing. Yes. So I guess just keep on with the story. Well, one because, thing that I love, I didn't write this, but sure. he um, has said in the interviews that I've listened to that it was at no point ever a matter of if he was going to do something about it. It was when and how. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the friend dipping out, you know, we don't need to get back into that. But I do think that it speaks very um, clearly and highly of Matthew's character, even mm-hmm. in his struggle and in the things that he was wrestling yeah. with. Yeah. That like he, it was never an option to not do something about right. it. So now Matthew had to act. He knew he had to act immediately and he had to act alone, putting himself and his own freedom at risk in the process. So he took the memory card and kind of wiped it off to make sure that he didn't have any fingerprints on it just in case. Mm -hmm. He then put it in a pink change purse and typed up a note that said something to the effect of, I stole this from the home of Robbie Aitken on Wedgwood Drive, which was the name on the paperwork, Mm -hmm. Robbie Aitken. Uh, I don't want anything to do with these. Please get this animal off the streets. Mm -hmm. He put the note and the change purse into an envelope and he wrote another message that said something like graphic photos, please turn over to police. He took the envelope to a random home in the neighborhood. And in his mind, he felt like if he took it to someone's home that had a family, Mm -hmm. that like a parent would be the kind of person that would follow through with bringing the photos to the police. Yeah. And thankfully he was correct. Wow. Okay. That's great. So the night before, Hmm. 22-year-old Robbie Aitken, a Los Gatos man with no prior criminal record. Did you say 22? 22. Wow. Okay. He had no prior criminal record, which I feel is like so ironic based on the rest of the stuff that we're going through. So he woke up in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. He heard a small commotion as well as the sound of something like a box being kicked over. Mm-hmm. He looked around his home only to discover that his safe had been stolen. And so he called 911 to report it. Both friends and investigators noted that he was extremely anxious about his safe being stolen, mm-hmm. like more so than the average person would be. Mm. He had told investigators that he had some personal paperwork and a pistol in his safe. So it struck everyone as odd that he was so worked up about it. Yeah. Later on, the mother of the child in the photos would say that Robbie had told her that he felt like life as he knew it was over. Oh my gosh. Which he makes told my, her that makes my stomach before turn before she knew. Oh. So when the Los Gatos police received the envelope and discovered the photos on the enclosed memory card, they too knew that they needed to act immediately for the sake of the safety of the child. Mm-hmm. When they read the name Robbie Aiken from Matthew's note, police were like, huh, isn't that the guy who just reported that his safe had been stolen? Mm-hmm. They recognized the name right yeah, away. Yeah. A group of investigators, uh, prosecuting attorney Dana Overstreet, district attorney Carl Lewis, and detectives Dana Cardo and Mike Barbieri worked out a plan to get Aiken to come in, like to come to them. Mm-hmm. On March 3rd, 2005, Aiken received a call from the police station informing him that they had some more questions for him regarding the theft that he'd reported. So Aitken, none the wiser, walked right into the police department. Mm-hmm. They chatted for a few minutes before Lewis told him that they had something else that they needed to talk about. From a big leather folder, 
He pulled out a print of one of the photos from the memory card, but it was just zoomed in on Aitken's face. Mm -hmm. Detective Barbieri would later explain that Aitken practically melted into his chair, which was something that gave him goosebumps to witness. So it was like he knew right away that they had the photos. Oh my gosh. Aitken covered his face with his hands and started rambling. According to an article I read, which I think was originally published by the San Jose Mercury News, but I read this from the Tribune out of San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is what it said. Quote, it was just, I, I, it, it's stupid, you know, it was one day, you know, being stupid and, you know, did it, you know, and halfway through, I was so upset at myself. I just stopped and said, what am I doing? And, you know, stopped and spent the next week just throwing up all upset about it, thinking, you know, how could I do this to someone I loved? End quote. Oh my gosh. Someone he loved. It would later be learned that the child in the photos was not only his boss's child, but she was his goddaughter. Oh my gosh. Robbie had worked for the parents of the child at their family-owned computer business and quickly became a Daisy Chain family member. He was so close with the family that they'd brought him along on family vacations and even hired him as a babysitter for their child. They not only loved him, but they trusted him. Yeah. Investigators went to Aiken's home and recovered a dress belonging to the child that he'd stuffed into a motorcycle helmet and stored in a bag, as well as thousands of pornographic images with more than 100 of those images involving children. Oh, wow. I am like feeling sick already. I know. It's horrifying. That is just like making it worse. That is just, it's monstrous. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's unclear if all 100 images were of the same child that he'd victimized or not. But regardless, the possession of the child pornography was another smoking gun in Aitken's case. Mm -hmm. He would initially be facing a sentence of 25 years to life and would eventually take a plea deal of 30 years. Hmm. Meanwhile, a few weeks later, Matthew was arrested on an unrelated charge and would quickly be charged with 16 felonies, including possession of methamphetamine, first-degree burglary, possession of stolen property, etc. Oh, wow. Given the three strikes law, Matthew was looking at 400 years to life in prison. Wow. So 25 years for each of the 16 felonies to life. Yeah. While Matthew awaited trial, the media were approached and informed by the prosecuting attorney, Dana Overstreet, that Matthew was facing 400 years to life and that Aitken was only facing 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so two articles by the Mercury News would be written about the case after the journalist went in and interviewed Matthew in the Elmwood Correctional Facility. Yes. So when the public got wind of the story, there were some strong opinions on both sides. Mm -hmm. A few people were like, well, he deserves the time based on the charges, while most others were outraged. Yeah. The child molester was looking at significantly less time than the man who turned him in. Yeah. So these articles made their way around the area, and the public joined in on the conversation. People started petitions to get Matthew a lesser sentence for sticking his neck out there, and the story spread to places even mm-hmm. beyond Northern California. Wow. At this point, Matthew had not actually admitted on the record to stealing the safe yeah. at this point at all. I was about to ask the question, how how did that become something that they knew? Because right. if people are having that conversation, obviously there's a connection there somewhere. Yes. So I'm sure yes. you're, gonna, you're about to get into that, I'm sure. 
So when he was arrested on unrelated charges, he had an off-record conversation with the arresting officers where he said something like, well, at least I gave you Aiken. Wow. The officers Hmm. had asked him about it and promised to keep whatever he said about Aiken off the record, Mm -hmm. which they actually did. But now there was a chain of possession problem. Mm. Aitken was trying to get the photographs thrown out so that they couldn't be used as evidence, since there was nothing on the record stating who had the safe, who found the photos, and who turned them in. Mm -hmm. And so to prevent the photos from being thrown out, they needed to establish a chain of possession. The very same district attorney who would go to the media with Matthew's story came and visited him in the county jail and informed him of the situation. She was very upfront with him. Wow. She told Matthew that she knew he'd stolen the safe and that she didn't have any deals that she could offer him. Like, that's not how this whole thing goes. Mm -hmm. But that if he admitted to stealing the safe on the record, that would establish the chain of possession that they needed in order to secure a consentencing. Mm Mm-hmm. So Matthew's attorney, Steve Kogel, I hope I said that right, uh, he recommended against going on the record and making that admission for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Right. He advised Matthew to go on record saying that he had gained possession of the safe, that he was the one who turned in the photos, etc. Matthew agreed and decided to participate in an on-the-record conversation. For the majority of the interview, Matthew answered all of the questions, but kind of skirted around anything that would implicate him in the stealing of the Mm -hmm. safe. Sure, sure. The district attorney paused the recording and told Matthew that they needed definitive proof that the police committed no crimes in attaining the photos Mm. from the stolen safe. And that the only person who could offer up that kind of information was Matthew. He was the only one. They started recording again, and the attorney asked Matthew if anyone else had possession of the safe between the time that it was taken from Aitken's home and the photos were turned into the police, mm-hmm. to which Matthew said, no, he was the wow. only one. Wow. Yep. That is, uh, that's like, I want to be careful, but that's heroic in a lot of ways. It like, is. That to, to choose to do the right thing even when it's hard, even when it puts you in a terrible situation, um, that's, that is a really like, I, 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 I would stand by that. That's a heroic thing to do. That's something that not everybody would do. Right. Once again, like we're coming back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we all like to say that we would, Yeah. but like in a situation like this, that's so extreme. Yeah. They're telling him, we can do absolutely nothing for you, but we need this information yeah. to secure this other guy's conviction. Yeah. And he did it. Well, and it to blows be my fair, mind. to be fair, and I, this is, I don't think this downplays that, that decision at all. Okay. But if he's already looking at 400 plus years, then what's another 25? I mean, he was awaiting his own trial though. That was only if he was convicted of, if it was all proven, et cetera. Oh, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like the likelihood of him serving mm-hmm. a lot of time mm-hmm. was obviously very high. Right. But this specific action. This one's, uh, he's, he's confessing. So like yes. this one, he would for sure get yes. canned for. And, and, oh boy, that, that would be hard. So I'm, yeah, I don't think that downplays the fact that he still made a really big call mm-hmm. in a really great way. Yeah, did the right thing. Um, but it, it it's he it's was another 26 factor. at this time as well. I would just like Man. to point out. 
These are all super young guys involved Mm -hmm. in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was this admission that ensured that Aiken would kind of want to avoid trial, which is why he ended up taking the plea deal of 30 years. Mm -hmm. So he was actually eligible for parole back in December of 2020, but I could only find documents prior to that date stating that his parole hearing was coming up that Mm -hmm. month. I couldn't find if he actually was paroled or not. So I'm assuming that he's still in prison, but I'm actually not totally positive. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Something to try to dig up later once we know more. Yes. Obviously 2020 was a weird year. So a lot of things probably didn't happen that we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Or happen Uh, as usual. Yeah. Now for Matthew, he's basically just sealed his own fate by once again, doing the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. He accomplished what he'd hoped to since he found the photos in the safe. He got the animal that was Robbie Aitken off the streets of Los Gatos. Mm-hmm. Despite the overwhelmingly bleak 400 years looming over Matthew's head, thanks to attention from the media about the situation and public interest in not punishing Matthew so harshly, considering his actions mm-hmm. to protect oh, this little yeah. girl who he yeah. didn't even know, yeah. Matthew was granted a plea deal. Oh my gosh. Instead of 400 years to life, Matthew Hahn would be given a sentence of 14 years, four months. Wow. Matthew was sent to Folsom State Prison and would be released in February of 2012 after serving just under seven years. Wow. During his Mm. time in prison, Matthew truly underwent like a full-blown transformation. Mm. In prison, Matthew had access to drug addiction recovery programs and has been clean since 2005. That's great. While in prison, he spent countless hours reading every book that he could get his hands on, determined to learn and work on himself, and he found a lot of hope and peace in the study of Buddhism. Hmm. He wrote a super interesting article for Vice about growing a vegetable garden in prison, which was not allowed. Uh, But it's it's a really great article. You guys need to read it. So I'll be linking that one in the show notes. Now, obviously, yeah. there's nothing idyllic about prison. Yeah. He lived in a two-man cell with a shared toilet and very limited space. Mm-hmm. There was structure as to when he could be out of his cell and in his cell, as mm-hmm. well as extremely high pressure or like, I guess, high stakes racial politics yeah. to navigate. Yeah. And the idea of freedom weighed heavily on Matthew's mind. At the beginning of serving his time, he kind of daydreamed about his previous freedom. And towards the middle and end of his time behind bars, he daydreamed about his upcoming freedom. Mm -hmm. He did some serious self-reckoning and work on himself over those seven-ish years. And by the time he was released, it was time for Matthew to start fresh. Since his release, Matthew Hahn went to college at UC Berkeley, where he met his now wife. Mm -hmm. The two own a home together, and they're living a joyful, meaningful life together from everything that I've heard Matthew say about that. That's awesome. Which I love so much. He's seen restoration in relationships with family members and important friendships in his life, and those relationships are thriving and are better than ever. Wow. He's been able to travel to beautiful destinations all around the world, and he's been pursuing work as a writer, as well as working a union job that he's very proud of. Matthew also visits high schools, including the very high school that he dropped out of years ago, Hmm. and he talks with students about his experiences, and he's also a program facilitator with Mindful Prisons, one of the several programs offered by the Boundless Freedom Project which is a California-based nonprofit that offers mindfulness courses and education to inmates in more than 15 prisons in the state of California. He's also very active on social media, and he's incredible at keeping conversations going around 
like things like the humanity of people yeah. behind bars. Yeah. Maybe some misconceptions that people have about incarcerated people, mm-hmm. his own life experiences. He's very much an open book. Yeah. And so I think he's on like all of the socials at Han Scratch. And so I'll also be linking his website yeah. where he That's posts cool. all kinds of informative blogs about his experiences and what he's learned in his lifetime. And it's so worth your time. Mm-hmm. He also fully acknowledges that many of his actions during his time as an addict and as a criminal hurt people, Mm. and he's tried his best to make amends in the years since he's been free. I tried looking into how the family and the little girl in today's story are doing. I couldn't find any updates Mm -hmm. or even their names, which I'm just going to call that a merciful thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, because I feel like there's this temptation that I know that I personally face And I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels this way, where sometimes I get so invested in a story or in a case that I feel like I somehow deserve to know Mm -hmm. every single detail of a particular case. But I'm actually very glad that the family has been able to remain anonymous over the years. And I hope that they've been able to receive help and healing in the years since their horrible ordeal. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this story is about a lot of things. Mm. It's about addiction, struggle, pain, grief, loss selfishness, abuse, and just so much darkness. But in many other ways, this is a story about being a human, about overcoming courage, strength, selflessness, honor, redemption, restoration, so many good things. For sure. And so I think one takeaway that's been in my head since I started digging into this case is kind of reckoning with my own self. Like, am I willing to be held accountable or to hold myself accountable when my actions hurt people? Hmm. Am I willing to work through things that are weaknesses yeah. in my life? Those yeah. kinds of things. Am I willing to humanize people around me and to treat them with dignity and love, even if they aren't necessarily doing anything to earn that from me? Hmm. So I just feel like there's a lot of wisdom to be found in stories like these. And I hope everyone enjoyed hearing this story. Go look into Matthew's blog posts. They are yeah. so good. But yeah. that is what I have for you today. Wow. That that story is crazy. There's a lot of heartbreak in it. Obviously there there was a good chunk of this story that you were telling that my stomach was churning Mm -hmm. and I was getting emotional and I got goosebumps and it was just not, not a good time. Um, but to know that there is justice, at least, at least to to a a, degree, to a degree. And the mercy that came for Matthew, um, I, I, I would, I would rarely say that like people deserve a certain kind of mercy. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of the point is that mercy is you not getting what you deserve. (laughs) Uh, but in this case, he actually kind of did earn at least a degree of it. Yeah. He, he was still like, I would say got a pretty good deal at the end of the day to go from 400 plus years to 14 and to get out after seven right or right under seven mm-hmm. like that's a really incredible deal but like i guess what i'm trying to say is to do the right thing when there is literally no reason for your own personal benefit to mm-hmm. do the right thing is something to be just wildly commended yeah, that is agreed oh that is a, honestly a breath of fresh air in a lot of yeah. ways for real 
I encourage everybody to go listen to the different interviews he's done and to go to his website. He did a really great interview with uh, the How to Human podcast and Sword hmm. and Scale did, I think, two parts yeah. on his story. Wow. There's there's a whole handful. The BBC. The um, BBC Yeah, they had like story. a side. Wow. A side I, I, I linked it in the yeah. paste bin. So okay. if you guys just want to follow links to that, that'll be in our in our show notes. But for sure, check his stuff out. Yeah. I feel like this story is very much the best and the worst of what humanity has to offer yeah. and like just the human experience mm. as a whole. Um, but yeah, this story really, really moved me. Yeah. And Matthew is on socials like Instagram, Instagram. He's very active on Twitter. He has a lot of very full conversations on Twitter and wow. he is on TikTok at Han scratch. So go follow him. Hmm. Okay. That's really cool. I, I, I'll i go follow him. That's yeah. going to be crazy. I hope he listens to this. I hope so too. Matthew, if you're listening. (laughs) I hope he likes it. (laughs) I hope we did a good job. If you don't like it, just don't say anything. We'll just apologize (laughs) privately. (laughs) If you liked it, then let us know. (laughs) But wow. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Um, If you haven't already, please make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, uh, I could list off tons of them, good pods, whatever it is, whichever one it is, make sure that you actually hit the subscribe button and get notifications every time a new episode comes out. And if you haven't already on that, uh, platform and even on others, if you want to leave a five-star review, those reviews help other people that listen to true crime and similar podcasts, this one to find this podcast. Also make sure you're following us on social media. We are on Instagram and TikTok at this one is a doozy. And on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. And, uh, you can even connect with us there, comment on things like it, DM us, whatever. But there's an even better way to connect with us. We've alluded to it earlier in the episode by connecting with us over on Patreon. My dear, won't you tell them about Patreon? Yes. So for $5 a month, patrons get access to all of our episodes ad-free as well as bonus episodes twice a month. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned in our little announcement up front, every month we have a a poll option Mm -hmm. where patrons can vote on which nonprofit organization that we will be giving to. And we appreciate every person already over there on Patreon and look forward to welcoming new friends hopefully soon. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.